Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> time. Welcome to it. This is when we could get this amazing author, but I will be bringing Danielle Dye on on in one moment. But first, the business of business. Desperate House, which is is not a GPG or even an R-rated show. So if dirty language, bodily functions, anything I might say might offend you, this may not be the show for you. But if you can overlook all of that, come on and hang out. We're going to have a good time. Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the one, the only, the incomparable, the incredible, the beautiful, the magical, the mystical, Dorothy Morrison. Check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. And if you need those products shipped overseas, please check out www.theangrycauldron.com. They handle her shipping overseas, and they have a great line of goods themselves. All right. I... So this morning, it was, uh, it had to be rescheduled from last week because there were technical issues and some physical issues, but Danielle Dion is my guest for the hour. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for agreeing to an early morning hour. I think this is the earliest (laughs) we've ever done the show. So I'm excited because <laughs> I get up like 5 a.m. every day anyway. So last week we were supposed to talk and my husband fell and the computer system didn't want to work. It was not meant to be. But I'm really excited because you are my last show for the season until October 1st. Thank you for spending this time with me. So I'm really excited. So I'm excited to be here. Don't... And yeah. Yeah, for folks who are not familiar with this author, teacher, farmer, all-around amazing (laughs) woman, because apparently she's not doing enough with life. Me look like a goddamn slug. Um, Yeah, so Danielle has written a book, amongst other things, uh, called Magical Mediumship. That's the new book. So, Danielle, let's before we get into the book, What's been going on since last week? What's happening? What's what's up with the farm? You have a cow. I love this. She has pigs to travel with her. This woman is amazing and does it all, and I am definitely not doing enough with my life. So what's happening? (laughs) Yeah, I'm happy to share. I love that we've been connecting on farm endeavors because that has been something uh, that has been a really big uh, labor of love and, and connection point for me this year. So while I have all of the spiritual things going on, I have a small farm in uh, New Hampshire. And so this year we have got a new cow. So I know that uh, I've been sharing with um, Raina some of my cow endeavors. So I have a, a beautiful little Dexter cow named Ivy. And in the last month, oh. we've gotten to American guinea hogs. 
And so uh, since last week, our, you know, my, my kind of farm updates are I somehow agreed to bring my piglets, who are almost three months old, to my mother, who lives in, a, you know, um, in, in Manchester, New Hampshire, so not you know, exactly rural, uh, because she has some, some oak trees and acorns. So I, didn't, I don't actually really remember agreeing to this, but she was so excited about it and invited her neighbors over because, oh, my gosh, the pigs are coming. So I kind of got guilted into this. No one can say I don't love my mom. So yesterday I'm, I'm texting messages uh, and, and pictures of my pigs eating acorns. They did really well. Actually, they were so well-behaved. They were so happy. I, I enjoyed it. It was really, really kind of ridiculous. I don't feel like it's, you know, I'm, I'm not the, I feel like I'm not the best farmer in the world. I feel like it's, you know, it's something that is a labor of love and, and something that we continue to grow into. And I'm looking at this going, you know, this is not super uh, badass farmer. But it was a good experience. <laughs> well, I I really enjoyed. It. I lived on the fa- on a farm for about a, a little under a year, and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life because, you know, when you're a city kid, you just are used to food coming from the grocery store. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't really get out to farm country much, and. Um, having lived on a farm and seeing what goes into butchering and caring for animals and growing vegetables, it's, it's a lot of work, but it is probably some of the most satisfying work I would think you could do. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I feel like I'm working out so much of my stuff with my farm, with the land, the animals, uh, it is a place where I feel like I fail a lot and also, you know, uh, just lavish in the successes of when it does work well. So that's been really um, lovely for me. We just actually raised our first round of meat chickens, which my um, partner, I've been with my partner for 16 years, and uh, he was raised vegetarian. So until he was 30 years old, he had never eaten meat. So it's really been over the past four or five years that he's been, uh, you know, eating chicken and eating meat. So this has been a new endeavor to actually raise our own and then and eat it. And it's been, um, I'm really pleased with the, the chicken side of things. We'll see where things go pig-wise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell folks the name of the pigs. <laughs> oh, we have, we have prosciutto and primrose. So um, I didn't actually realize primrose is a ham. I named her for evening primrose because when we got her, primrose was out in full bloom. We were driving home, um, and just all these beautiful yellow flowers are everywhere, and I thought it was a really lovely name. As soon as I tell my family, they're like, oh, that's a ham. So that's kind of funny. Um, But prosciutto is a a feeder pig, so this is our first endeavor. They're super friendly. They're um, a heritage breed, American guinea hogs, that I'm I'm really passionate um, in getting into the idea of raising um, heritage breed animals for livestock uh, uh, conservation. So we'll see how this endeavor goes. So they, they take a long time to grow out. Austin's not super keen on the idea of eating prosciutto just yet. But I think that I agree with the mindset of, you know, live a good day every day, have a really happy life, eat good food, you know, be a, you know have, a, have a good pig life and then have one bad day. Um, and, and if we can, you know, minimize that, um, you know, it's much different than the, the meat that we get at stores and things. And, and, you know, we'll do the best that we can with it. We'll see where it goes. Check in with me in a year. <laughs> and we're going to. Um, but honestly, <laughs> the best I ever felt actually living, especially as a witch, living on a farm and seeing where everything comes from and having to actually come face to face with the face of your meal. And I think, yeah, you know, it's something everybody should, who eats meat, should 
actually do at least once to see that this is, in fact, um, a breathing, living animal. You know, every time we have something that is meat-related, you know, it is a sacrifice, and we thank the Mm -hmm. animal for its life. That's how you honor it. Um, But there's honor in how you you put that animal down for that particular consumption, Mm -hmm. too. And, you know, it's – I always – you know, once having lived on a farm, you feel it's a very spiritual connection to the land and nature and all of that. So I highly recommend if you, if folks listening ever get a chance to just spend some time on a farm. Not everyone has the ability to spend uh, like a week or two, but, I mean, if, if at all possible, get to know nature a little more. You know, things have been so crazy with COVID and, you know, people being so isolated, I think we're even losing more touch with mm-hmm. things around us and around us and animals and stuff. So I, I think it's really important to reconnect in that regard. Yes. You know Definitely. So, yeah. And I so think how, as a witch has, too. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I was gonna say ahead. I think as a Oh, I think as a witch, too, this has been sort of integral in my own practice. So it is observing the life and death tides. And um, it's enriching my spiritual practice, even just being outside and working with the land, working with the animals and all of that. And um, at least from what I've seen from farmers markets, I'm not getting out a whole lot because of COVID. I'm I'm pretty much hunkered down here. Um, But I do venture out to some of the farms nearby. And it sounds like they're doing really well. So I hope that you know, if somebody is thriving in this time, that it is our farmers and that it is people that are sort of working with the land. And, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm privileged enough to be in that kind of that area where, where those things are common. But, um, yeah, I'd echo your sentiments, like go out and, and, you know, meet a farmer or if you, if you, you know, even if you can't go to a farmer's market or, or go see animals um, in person this time because you're, you're staying home, you know, uh, support them in any way or look into it because you might, um, yeah, I, I think it's a good thing to, to have in your life. If you can. Absolutely. Yeah, the quality, I mean, to be honest, the quality of food that you get from a farm as opposed to a supermarket, they're not even in the same ballpark. I mean, the, the flavor is different. The quality is so superior. And, you know, I think a lot of people are, are turning back to farms for food now because, you mm-hmm. know, a sustainable farm is a constant when you look at supply, uh, chain supply foods, you know, things being shipped, shipments have been interrupted because of COVID. Some things can't get into ports, yep. you know, because of COVID. And it's put a big disruptor on a lot of things that you think would normally just be there. I mean, I'll never forget when I first realized something was wrong. We were online at the grocery store to get toilet paper. I mean, simple mm. stuff and meat. Meats could not be found for, like, the first eight weeks. We had a horrible time finding any kind of, um, you know, animal products because everything had just ground to a complete halt. So if you can find local Mm -hmm. farms and support them, it's good for you. It's good for the farm. Um, You know, certainly buy your produce there if you're not a meat person um, because they could use the support. You know, this is the time to turn to them. These folks have always been there um, trying to make a decent living. And, and I think, you know, and you never want to say COVID is a good thing, but when your focus is redirected to local, 
I think it's pretty important to support those folks because while everyone is hurting, they are certainly hurting, and now would be a good time to, like, meet people for after COVID is over or at least treatable. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, definitely. Don't go back to don't go back to crappy food just because, you know, whenever we get a vaccination. <laughs> Try to remember the this, this stuff we've learned now <laughs> because right. I'll tell you, folks have been learning a lot about themselves. There's been a lot going on. As, you know, your book, Magical Mediumship, that seems really appropriate to the time. What's, what's that about? Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to chat about it, but I was thinking of this yesterday uh, where – we've seen sort of big surgeons, you know, uh, a big resurgence in, you know, the interest in mediumship and connecting to the dead following any big sort of, um, you know, death event. And I think COVID is, is going to be another one of those, unfortunately, it already is. Um, so yeah. I think that it's interesting that this is the time that this book is coming out. And even though when I wrote it, it wasn't, you know, in this time, it was pre-COVID, but I think it will be really relevant moving forward. And I hope it does help people. So um, the book is called Magical Mediumship. It's partnering with the ancestors for healing and spiritual development. So really uh, what I aim to do with this book is I've been, you know, interested in this and and connected to it since I was a little kid. Uh, I had a lot of death around me when I was a a child, and that's actually what sort of stemmed my interest in witchcraft and the occult and spiritualism, and particularly the mediumship focus. I had a best friend that passed away when he was six years old unexpectedly. He had a, a misdiagnosis and died of appendicitis. Um, uh, in the Halloween time frame, which is interesting. And in the mm-hmm. same time frame, my sister, who's three years younger, she had another childhood friend uh, that we were in you know, church and, and Girl Scouts with who had a, a terminal brain cancer. So we saw um, another child death. And then in that same time frame, a uh, short amount of time, we had a, a, my, gra- my great-grandmother who was in her 90s, who had lived a full life, uh, kind of went through her hospice journey. And I got to kind of see my family rally around and what it looked like to support somebody as they were making their transition. So wow. all of those things uh, were interesting to me and, and kind of had those had, had themes for where my, I don't know, I think where I took my life. But what was interesting was I would end up, having visitations specifically with my best friend who passed where I would see him much in a different way than I experience mediumship. Now I would actually like see him um, in the room with me or in, in, you know, particular public places I'd receive messages and they were always really comforting. It wasn't a scary thing. And while I think we don't always give children, you know, the, the, the confidence that they can understand, you know, death, I think at that time. So this is six, seven years old for me. I really understood the finality of it. Um, but I didn't really have the support around, you know, what are these experiences that I'm having? Um, but I always found them supportive. And so uh, anything that I could get my hands on, occult-wise, um, you know, books about spiritualism, that became a, a big interest of mine and, and obviously lifelong kind of trajectory here. So uh, what I'm hoping to do with this book is take sort of everything that I've kind of, uh, you know, accumulated over the time in my you know, t- uh, looking at spiritualism, being part of the spiritualist church, which was really foundational in me doing mediumship development, uh, you know, some of the, the trainings and teachings and things eclectically that I've, I've gathered from other, uh, you know, other studies and pursuits and experiences of sitting and, and trying to connect with spirit. How do we make those connections? Uh, so knowing that we have the ability to connect to the dead, I do innately believe, and some people will, will you know, feel otherwise on this, but 
I think that we all have dead. Uh, we all have, you know, um, ancestors. We all have people in our life that we will know and that will die. I think that is, that is one of the guarantees in this life. And if we haven't, we will. Um, but you can, you can connect with them and, and more than just a way of bringing through evidence and messages, uh, certainly that's a lovely thing to do and I think something that, that can be developed. But how do we know our own dead? How do we connect with them in our own lives? How do we seek their guidance mm-hmm. and their intercession? How do we honor them? And how do we look at death in our own lives? Because I think that's something that, uh, you know, culturally we have not been brought up with. I think it's getting better. But talking about death, looking at, you know, what do we want for our own lives? What do we, you know, how do we care for the people that we will ultimately maybe have to make healthcare decisions for? Um, and, you know, if we want to, you know, look at natural death care, that's something that I'm also passionate about. So the book covers a lot. It's, uh, you know, the mediumship emphasis. It has the lens of um, a magical focus because that's been my path. And so, you know, bringing elements, it's non-tradition specific. But how do you work with the dead? How do you build a spiritual practice for yourself if you don't have one? Or how do you enhance it if you do? And, uh, you know, work magically, you know, healing, divination, um, you know, um, magic with the dead. So lots of things. I'm really excited about it. And I hope people enjoy it. Well, I, I have no doubt that they will, especially now. You know, it's interesting because you've just covered a whole lot. So I'm going to oh, I can back it up a little bit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, you know, you're right. A lot of people don't give credence to what children say when they experience something. Um, it was brought to my attention when my older son was little that he was actually uh, – he had a tree of life put up in his room because that's, you know, my path. I'm, I'm gardenarian. Um, but mm-hmm. we had, we had that up there and he was like talking to angels at three and we're like, okay, mm. we're just going to let him hang with that, you know, and maybe we yeah. can got, get some information out of him later. And, you know, we would ask him and he would say, Oh, they were here. Yeah. That we, yeah. That's all. And you know, that was like it. That was the sum total. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were here. but yeah you know I think people tend to dismiss what children say and their input and you know if you have youngsters before they are damaged by everything we get damaged by as we're growing you know (laughs) heartbreak and you know bad parenting and the stupid stuff we do to ourselves and the grief we carry you know, some people think we carry grief and, and situations genetically from our ancestors, which is also all mm-hmm. possible. I mean, I'm, I'm no expert in anything. But, you know, I think it's important when you have a child that you think might be experiencing these things to kind of, you know, be open to it. Be, be, you know, as long as it's not a dangerous thing, you know, if they're just chattering and it seems reasonable, um, give it some credence. Give it some some uh, support, foster that kind of thing, because they're closer to the other side than we are. They just came through, you know. Is that, do you think yeah. that's true? Yes. So, and yeah, I think that it's something, yeah, and I think what you did is wonderful, and I think that's something that people are, are coming, uh, maybe coming to terms with, or maybe it's the people that I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm fortunate in that way. 
But, yeah, if a kid is telling you something and you're like, oh, I think that's a little, you know, my family thought it was creepy. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of yeah. share a little bit of that. But encourage the child. You don't have to make it a big deal. I think you want to normalize things. So you don't want to scare the child. Um, but just right. kind of be inquisitive. Oh, really? Like you said, oh, you're seeing angels. What are they doing? What do they look like? What are they saying to you? Um, so just kind of yeah. making it nonchalant, not a big deal, but encouraging it. So if they do want to share with you, they can. Um, and I think that's so helpful because a lot of people are like, oh, I shut it down. Oh, I don't have these connections anymore. And I think that has to do with, you know, the, the sort of pressure we get from society and, you know, oh, that's weird. Oh, that's not normal. Oh, that's not something that, that is real. Uh, so we kind of get bombarded with that. And I do think children are closer to yeah. the veil. And I love it when I, you know, when there are interesting, uh, you know, connections or information that children bring out about their loved ones in spirit. And I think how comforting is that and how beautiful is that, that, that that is another source of validation that our loved ones are here and around us. Uh, when a, you know, a young child talks about, oh, grandmother uh, who never met, you know, who died before they were born. It's uh, yeah, it, it can be beautiful, but allowing that, to, yeah. you know, fostering that in a good way is, is, is key. Yeah. I wasn't, so, I don't remember think, I don't remember having those experiences necessarily. I do remember thinking magically as a child, but not, not being um, paid much attention to. My mother was mm-hmm. a, a, an active witch until mm-hmm. my father became Pentecostal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Interesting. And then, <laughs> and then she followed him right in there because that's just who she is. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so anything having to do with witchcraft from that point forward was not to be discussed uh, was to be banished. Of course, I never really banished it uh, because they were crazy. And, you know, I, I was not supported in having a different path after that point. So, you know, it's it's hard. And I didn't raise my kids with religion because I think, you know, a belief system is a very personal thing. And mm-hmm. because I don't really believe in hell, it doesn't apply that I would raise my children as though hell exists. So for me, mm-hmm. it's like, you've got to figure it out. You've got to pick your path. You, you know, that's, you wouldn't tell me what sexuality to be, nor should you. Right. You shouldn't be telling mm-hmm. me what religion I should be either. So, I mean, I'm very, I think that's a very hands-off thing, and you've got to let people come to whatever they come to on their own. Yeah, and I think that's something, yeah, to be endeavored on in their life's journey. So whether that religion becomes important or spirituality becomes important or it's not part of their path, yeah, it's an individual thing. Um, And, yeah, I think for me, I grew up, I have a very French Catholic family, uh, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, that's most of my father's side, um, my mother was Protestant, so we kind of had an interesting mashup of uh, religious (laughs) experiences growing up and I think, you know, they did the best that they could with me, but uh, I was definitely an inquisitive kid and always asking a million questions. And I was actually really fortunate to have a Protestant minister who would, uh, you know, kind of be patient with me and answer questions. But, uh, yeah, for me, I was so interested in 
uh, and I went to public school, you know, in a, uh, you know, we didn't have a, a crazy lot of resources. We had a city library and we had the, the library in our school. And I read, and it's amazing what I got my hands on um, and how, like, how tuned in, I think, at a, a young age kids can be into sort of maybe what is authentic for them. Because I learned about, you know, uh, par- I used to tell people in second grade, which is ridiculous, um, you know, when people would be like, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to do when you grow up? I never had that sort of straight and narrow path. Um, but I wanted to be a perhaps a psychologist which is really a parapsychologist, because I had read about Arthur Finley College and spiritualism, um, which I thought was just something people in England did. So when I was little, I didn't see that around us. I didn't know any spiritualists. I didn't know anybody on this, you know, sort of spiritual endeavor. Um, But I knew that there were people in the world that maybe did this still, and I wanted to go there. And I actually got to go there in 2011, which is really cool. Um, But yeah, like just the fact, yeah, (laughs) kind of weird. And I was always, you know, into, I think my parents, weren't necessarily supportive of the, the witchcraft endeavoring. I think they did the best that they could. So speaking to, you know, having a kid, having experiences, it was fine when I was six, seven, eight years old, when I got into middle school and I was still talking about this, uh, you know, actually my parents took me to a psychologist and as far, you know, oh, because wow. I was talking about seeing things, nothing, you know, there uh, from a mental health perspective that would allude to this. Um, certainly I was like a, you know, I think I was a sad kind of emo, quiet nature child. And I'm glad that that's shifted yeah. for me in adulthood for the most part. But, uh, you know, all, yeah. you know, I remember having, you know, Silver, um, Silver Ravenwolf books and uh, Raymond Buckland and Scott Cunningham and my mom throwing out Raymond Buckland's book multiple times because it had the big, oh. you know, the big blue book with the pentagram. So, uh, yeah. yeah, kids can, they'll find their own path. And I think it's nice to offer guidance and support, but, you know, it doesn't have to be prescriptive and, and hopefully they'll find I know for me it was finding the right people at the right time and just sort of being in the right place that shifted and shaped me. Yeah. I I think that's a, what an amazing journey. Wow. You've done so much and you've experienced a lot. I, you know, I had back in the day, it was like 1971 or two. I happened to be in a department store where I found my very first, a uh, book about witchcraft. It was called The Complete Book of Witchcraft. It came with a red cover, and there was like a devil symbol on it. And I remember having, I still have it. I had to hide it so many times from my parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would shove it in <laughs> pillowcases and hide it in yep. my clothing. And you had to keep moving it because, like, my mother, you know, my parents at some point went to see The Exorcist, and it freaked mm-hmm. them both out badly and they're like you're not yeah. doing that witch anymore are you and I'm like oh no not at all and bullshit of course I was um, so, <laughs> you know I was lucky I, I, I mean I'm so lucky that I still have it it's, it's been out of print for decades as far as I know oh. but I still have my, my little copy you know I used to go into Manhattan because I'm from New York and like I would go to Enchantments and I would go to Magical mm-hmm. Child and Arcane 222. I mean, I used to have all these places that you could investigate in the 70s and 80s that were, or rather the 80s and 90s that were super cool. And, you know, I was able to continue fostering my relationship to the craft and, and you know, pretty much I got mentored into um, Gardnerianism mentored not being a pejorative at all. Um, I had asked at 16. Uh, I knew someone who was Gardnerian, and I said, I'm very interested. And he was like, well, 
you know, I'm glad you're interested. Let's see how serious you are. And 12 years later, I was initiated. So I I had to get, yeah, I mean, you know, and that's the thing about witchcraft. We don't, we're not looking for numbers. We're not building truth Mm -hmm. for God. Okay. (laughs) It's so different from Christianity. But right, though, it's so different from Christianity where they're constantly trying to add to their numbers. In, in, mm-hmm. my, uh, in my circle, that was not the case at all. We tried to warn people away from it. So, you know, mm-hmm. I had to be dedicated and read and show service and, you know, fealty to the people training me and, and you know, that I had loyalty and that, you know, I would – be an honorable person in the craft. I mean, you can't just, you know, back then it wasn't a situation where, you know, there was enough information that you could really find all of it on your own. People before me had books and had learning and had experiences, and and I honored that. And when I proved that I was sincere, you know, I, I was able to be initiated. But it did take a long time, and I'm glad it took a long time. Because yeah. my sincerity be there, you know, it's not just something you throw away and, you mm-hmm. know, you honor your teachers by by showing them that you are listening and, and doing the work. Doing the work is really important, I think. But I'm old fashioned. What can I say? I'm almost 60. That happens. I so, love that, though. Yeah. And, I, and I don't know if we have as much of that today. And I think that that's something to be admired and something to be, you know, I, I don't know. I'm I'm. I'm 34, um, and I think that the experiences are different in some ways. But I think, yeah, that yeah. that to me is so magical, and what a treasure that journey has been, and what a you know a real commitment that is. And I think we have that. But I'm, as I'm watching, sort of you know tides change and things, it, it is interesting to observe the differences generationally between people that come to this path and and what those experiences are like. But yeah, what a commitment and 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 truly magical endeavor that is. I think that's to be admired. Oh, you're very kind, but trust me, it has nothing to do <laughs> with, um, it, 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 there's no nobility involved. I was willing to work for a goal and that was it. I mean, mm-hmm. like anybody is willing to work. So, I mean, I appreciate that's really super sweet and kind of you, um, but there was no other way back in those days Yeah, because we didn't, have, we didn't have the internet. Anything in the library was in very short supply we had like, mm-hmm. you know, when I was first coming up, we only had like less than a dozen folks really, you know, writing in in a continuous manner where they had multiple books and, you know, they yeah. were obviously on thing. I mean, there there's there's always going to be a lot of one-offs that folks write, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. But I was raised that, you know, somebody who's credible has, you know, successes and, you know, is known in the community. Um, so, I, you know, I was raised the way I was raised. It's not to denigrate anybody or anything. It's just that was my yeah. choice. If I wanted to yeah. do this, this is my option because I couldn't access. Yeah. There was no Internet to access this information. So I actually... I, you know, I have no issue with folks getting information the way they get it these days. It's a personal choice. Again, everyone has to come to their path their way, and I think there's honor in all of it. But, you know, I'm just 
I'm just explaining what I went through because of the year it was that I was going through it. There, there were not a lot of options, but you're very kind. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I think I, and I'm somebody who maybe takes the road of like, you you know, and, and this is probably not to be, you know, replicated <laughs> or is not, you know, the best model perhaps for everybody, but it is that kind of like source of commitment, showing up for it, doing it kind of the hard way in some regards. And, uh, that's probably not the best mentality because I don't, you know, we could, we can shift that. We can change that. You know, we're witches. We can, we can manipulate yeah. things. We can, you know, enact magic. But for me, it is a lot about do it this way, you know, do it the right way. And um, actually, I think that's why even just coming back to farm things, this year has been so pivotal on the farm. So I think I do well yeah. when I am studious, when I am focused on something, I can be a dog with a bone with that and, and do the work and be disciplined. <laughs> but with, with farm, yeah. you know, it is, it's you and it's, it's the animal. It's you and it's the plants, like it's gardening. And gardening has taught me probably even more than the animals this year about failure, <laughs> you know, and, and, and things that are good and things that are not good and, and really having yeah. to, to kind of be in something and, and uh, you know, experience it hands-on to understand the process of things. And, um, yeah, so, so I like to, you know, go, go the long route with studying things, but that's not, you know, doesn't necessarily mean everybody's path. But, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> talking about commitment, a farm is, I mean, I can't think of another occupation that's full – as full of commitment as farming because farming, you know, you're, you're up against nature, which as we know is unpredictable. Um, and yeah. to, to trust its heritage animals, you know, heritage animals, that can be very tricky. You know, it's kind of like a liken it, if you will, to a purebred dog. Um, there are certain inherent issues with certain breeds. Do you find that with your heritage animals, that there are certain things you know to watch out for because they're heritage? Well, so the, the idea we've had, so I've had goats for 11 years. This is, this is new getting into the cows and pigs, but we've had alpacas and llamas and things that we have stumbled upon wow. that maybe were not in the, the trajectory of the farm initially, <laughs> um, and then horses uh-huh. and chickens and ducks and geese, all the things. Um, but with these guys yeah. and sort of the re-emphasis of the farm, it is about kind of preserving genetics. So um, it's about it, they're different animals than we would get factory farm-wise. Um, and they're actually more like climate sustainable. Like they're, they're animals that we can put out in a pasture and that they can thrive, that they maybe take longer to grow out, which is why that we sort of moved away. But a lot of the emphasis on the conservancy of them is that um, because we've bred animals to grow, you know, larger and quicker – for the meat industry, yeah. we have probably yeah. dried out some of the genetics that actually keep them hardy, that may keep them disease resistant. So I haven't seen so much of that, but again, this is sort of a new endeavor this year, something that I've been wanting to get into over the past couple of years with the cows and the pigs. So yeah. yet to be seen. But I do know that Nigerian dwarf goats, uh, which I have and had, have had for 11 years, I have uh, four of my remaining herd left. Uh, and they're very hardy. We've had minimal in, uh, issues with, uh, with the goats. And um, now we're starting to see, you know, we have some, some parallel goats and I have a goat with cancer right now. So we're watching and, and making things comfortable. Oh. But, um, yeah, for the most part, no, I haven't had a lot of, of disease or issue regarding that because I think they are heritage. But uh, we'll see. This is new for the cows and the pigs. <laughs> no, I think it's so exciting, though, and I'm so grateful that you're sharing all of this with us because, you know, I think folks in, in the midst of all the craziness, are, you know, 
I think sometimes it's hard to feel connected to anything lately. You know, everything is changing constantly. There's misinformation all over the place. You know, I live in a state where, you know, the uh, president was just here telling people to try to vote twice to prove that the system is rigged. I mean, there's just so much crazy shit going on. I'm like, how do you keep up? You know, so yeah, I, and I, I think I, that's a huge. Good. Yeah, it's a huge challenge, and I am finding for me, like this year. I mean, I think everybody can can empathize and, and and has been part of this. You know, collectively, how much shifting has gone on and how much has happened in one year, and we're not even done. Um, for right. me, I ran a, a spiritual education center over the past four years that had a physical location, and we decided in June um, after much deliberation and angst on my part um, and, and divination <laughs> and consultation with spirit uh, to close that, that down. And so for the future, it's, it's moved online, uh, which is Moth and Moon Studio. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, yep. I have somebody who has a background in healthcare and in, uh, in public health and epidemiology and policy. And so I used to be such a news junkie where, like, I couldn't get enough of it. I wanted to be, you know, really aware of things. For me, it has been a lot yeah. about trying to find balance and and where I still am kind of, you know, in struggle is, is how do I separate myself out from that in some ways? So how do I still stay in touch but not be overwhelmed and, and be completely immersed but at the same time, you know, mm-hmm. uh, stay on top of things as much as possible? But, yeah, we just had we had a Trump rally in here uh, last week, I think it was, um, where they came and we had bike week. And so now we're watching for big COVID resurgences. And uh, it, it'll be interesting. But, yeah, it's an interesting time. I think the next few months will be – uh, you know, continue to be uh, an interesting part of this year, and we'll see where things go. So I have to ask you because you're you're a medium. Um, are yeah. you picking up anything specific as far as you know what's got what the turn what the problems are going to be after the election? I'm not going to ask you to predict uh, about what the election turnout or results will be. But are you feeling like people are so on the edge? Are you getting any kind of, you know, psychic vibes that maybe um, the system is going to break down more? Are people really going to be out in the streets, like, with guns? I mean, because I keep hearing all this craziness. So I was wondering if as medium you're picking up on any of that and what you're maybe, what what spirit may be telling you. Yeah, and so I think – for me, it has also been tuning into what, not that what I can control, but sort of energetically, maybe even what I can handle, um, which sounds, you know, sort of um, uh, selfish in some ways. But I do have apprehension. And I think even at the beginning of this year, I remember having, uh, I, had a, I had a mentee and we were sort of talking about things. And this was in January. And it was before, you know, coronavirus was everywhere. And, but it was, you know, we had, we'd heard yeah. the word. And it felt like I just said to her, you know, I really don't feel good about this. Like, I just have this really sinking feeling. And it was after we came into, you know, 2020, clear vision, it's going to be a great year. And that, you know, quickly went to right. shit. Um, but but uh, <laughs> it was just this sort of heaviness to it. And I don't like that. So I guess I'll just say this. I, I want to be, a, you know, an optimist. I think that we can make, uh, you know, a difference in the world. Sometimes I think things are necessary to bring about change, and I don't feel like we're quite yeah. done yet. Um, so that is the feeling that I get with it. 
Um, and, wow. and I don't mean that to be like doomsday, but I just feel like there's more to come. Like this is the precipice. This is the fulcrum, I think, in this time. And it will be interesting to see where things come, but I just don't feel like it's done quite yet. And I don't love that, but that is something that I do feel. Um, I hope that that's just more in short term, not long term. But mediumship-wise, this year has been very fascinating um, because we have so much death. We have so much collective grief. I really, yeah. I struggled in the beginning. I think we all did, you know, regardless of our sensitivities or our connection to, you know, the dead or just anything. I think, it, it, you know, an average Joe on the street, which is not an average Joe because they can still connect to the dead. Um, there is this feeling of uh, how much can we handle? Like I, I had sort of, you know, took an, uh, taken it upon myself, that, you know, in the beginning, you know, making sure that I'm lighting candles constantly every day, that I'm opening up, that I'm, you know, trying to assist energetically in whatever way I can. And at some point it gets to the overwhelming, you know, grief uh, tipping point because there's so many people around. Actually, my great aunt passed away of COVID early um, in this and she was, you know, yeah. uh, an older woman. Um, but still, yeah. nonetheless, like, there, you know, it, it, I think when people were sort of looking at it and saying, oh, is this real? Is there really, you know, we're seeing numbers, but we're maybe not seeing it, at least where I was, you know, direct, uh, you know, friends, family, that kind of thing. It was still there. Um but for me, it's been having to find balance, leaning on my ancestors. I've been finding a lot of, uh, I've been taking a lot of comfort and, and shifting the focus from the early few months of this to what's more manageable. Um, so I do tend to keep a light going uh, at the altar, and I do connect with uh, my ancestors daily, um, weekly in a very formal way, but, you know, uh, you know, touching base with them, you know, daily in, in uh, informal and, and, you know, offering of a coffee is something that I like to do when I make coffee in the morning. But leaning on ancestors that have lived through plague, that have lived through times of epidemic and kind of calling to them in support of how do I just be a human functioning in this world where times have changed really dramatically in a short amount of time, but also, you know, are there things that can be potentially healed or looked at in my line? I'm fortunate to have a ton of healthcare people and farmers, <laughs> um, interestingly, in my, um, yeah. in my lineage. And so calling on them has been really integral. So I feel like the first, you know, three months, it was a lot of, you know, calling to the nurses in my line, calling to the healers in my line, coming forward, you know, helping support, knowing that my sister is somebody who uh, works in healthcare too. I worked uh, um, in, in hospitals and healthcare for 10 years before stepping into this full time, you know, rallying around support for people who are providing services to people in, you know, um, and putting themselves at risk. But then, even switching more to the farmers too. I think for me, that's where a lot of this push has been and a lot of guidance has been is that you can't do everything. Um, and that like, even if you want to take up this mantle and you're a one woman charge, uh, you have to find the balance and rhythm in your own life. And so uh, I did notice that sort of shift personally for me. And I wonder about other people kind of feeling in collectively and, and to their own, you know, dead and own, um, you know, whatever spirit guidance, I guess that they, they may be open to receiving in this time. But for me, it's been a lot of, you can't save the world, which is a frustrating thing if you're somebody who cares for others and wants to make change and, and is somebody who tends to be active out in the public and out in the world. What can you do um, to support one-on-one -on -one in this time, even if it's not, you know, the ideal scenario that you would sort of hold for that vision for yourself? And how do you do the work that's before you and, and what can you do? So, yeah, that's been right. an interesting focus for me. Ramble, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> No, 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 you're great. I love this because it, you know, it, it, but it's like everything you say, there's more questions behind it. So it's, <laughs> so, you know, because I, I, I feel like just grounding and breathing and remembering to like move my body 
is mm-hmm. with everything going on because there's been so many shifts in relationships and work yeah. and people to teach their children from home as opposed to going to school. Yeah. There's, there's so many factors that you, you're not prepared for because you never knew this was coming in the first place, not in a real sense. I mean, as, right. as psychics, as witches, you know, we feel tides, we feel uh, energies in a different way, not to be all oogie-boogie about it because I, mm-hmm. I don't really go oogie-boogie, but, like, you know, we just we pick up things differently, you know, and, and mm-hmm. for years we've, we've been feeling that things were not going so great the the earth is not really loving us right now uh, because we've done so much stuff. But with COVID mm-hmm. having to stay sequestered, you know, we saw a lot of things reemerge. Some animals came back that we thought we'd killed yeah. off. I mean, different things. In some countries, they're seeing a resurgence of snakes, venomous snakes. I mean, there's been mm. a whole bunch of stuff. And it's not stuff you're, you think about because – we're all just trying to figure out how to get through the day sometimes because a lot of people are out of work. A lot of people, you know, have to do everything from home. So it's just been this whole new set of circumstances, but I have noticed that as humans, we've become somewhat adaptable. Like we've, I mean, considering the fact that this really went viral, no pun intended, in like (laughs) March, April, where it was a real, you know, it was like in everyone's, forethought um we've become pretty adaptable as far as you know curbing what you know our interactions with other folks um having things delivered as opposed to going to see them in person or get them in person go to my ancestors sometimes and say what did you do how how do i get through this is there a good way for me to like just try to reconnect can you give me like a little a little basic exercise or something to reconnect to totally. the ancestors. Oh. Yes, I love this. Um, and so wherever you are in practice, whether you have an ancestor altar that you tend or you just have a place in your home um, that maybe, you know, has, has a connection point for the ancestors, if you don't have one, I think that's a good suggestion to get one. And it doesn't have to be crazy, fancy, and elaborate, but something that says, you know, this is a place of honor um, for those that have come before. Many different, you know, ideas mm-hmm. to be incorporated and in varying uh, traditions and cultures will look at it in different ways. Um, but for me, I am somebody who loves pictures, so I put out some pictures of my ancestors. Um, even if you can't do that, I think just the idea of having a, a, um, a glass of water, so something, the idea with water is that it is, you know, uh, it is a, a way to conduct, you know, it, it has the potential to, be conducive to connecting to the spirit realm. So we've got a lot of associations water-wise with spirits and the dead and all of that. So just at a boiled down thing to take away, you know, uh, water is nice to quench the, blo- the, the dry bones of the dead so that they may commune with us if you want to get sexy about it. Um, but putting out a clear <laughs> glass of water and lighting a candle, uh, as simple as that, flame across the board, uh, you know, lighting candles is a sacred way of, you know, to memorialize someone, to connect with someone, to light the way to bring guidance. Yep. And so having this, yep. you know, even a, a clear glass of water and a candle, if you've got nothing else um, in a place in your home that you want to invite them, um, call to them, talk to them. I think you can get really fancy and elaborate. And I am somebody ritualistically who likes to be wordy and flowy and, and have beautiful ways to call in. But I think the real key piece is that it's a personal practice and you want it to be authentic yeah. to you. 
Um, I'm a big, you know, proponent of speaking out loud, but if you don't feel comfortable, you're just starting out, don't, you don't have to speak out loud. Um, but I like to kind of just set that, you know, that tone, light the candle. You know, I call to the ancestors. I call upon my beloved dead. I call to my loved ones in spirit, and I ask that they join me here. Come forward. Support me in this time. I call to my ancestors that have survived plague, those that have lived through epidemics, Particularly, you might feel, you know, called to call upon the, you know, those that survived the Spanish influenza not that long ago, 1918. You know, mm-hmm. we had ancestors that lived through this. Come forward, yep. be with me, surround me in this time, surround me throughout my day, bring signs, you know, make yourself known um, to help guide me uh, in whatever needs to, you know, in whatever you want for your for um, your life. I often ask for just that support to be guided to make the right decisions. You can certainly get into, you know, if you have a divination system that you want to work with for your dead, that's a good way to kind of get clear answers if you don't feel like you are so trusting of the messages that may come through, um, whether that's, you know, you might have a, have a quick image of something or a feeling or a knowing, um, or you might, you know, hear something. Often I find that when we are connecting to our own dead and to our own ancestors and we're connecting to the, the, the ancestors that are healthy in spirit that want to come forward and work with us, that's the kind of caveat to this because I think there's many different types of dead and, and ways we can connect to the dead. But with this, we're really asking for those, those ancestors that can be of benefit to come forward and support us. And it can often just be that sense of them around us. You just sort of feel the energy shift. You feel them. I often feel them come behind me and almost wrap around me. And that's when I often know that they're just sort of there to kind of commune. Um, and invite them to partake in your life. So while I'm out farming, while I'm mucking a stall, I might all of a sudden get the sense that my grandfather, you know, who died before I was born, who was a farmer, you know, is, is kind of there and with me. And sometimes I'll get inspired to, to, to make, take an action, even if it's small. I find with spirits, ancestors or otherwise, even small little, little inspirations, little ideas, little things that they plant have bigger ramifications that will often be that kind of breadcrumb that leads to something important or, or pivotal in some way. So I I think when we become in tune and in sync with them, even if it's just starting small, can, can have ripple effect and can be really, uh, you know, fostering a beautiful partnership. And I think the ancestors show up because they care. Like they are, you know, they're, they're somebody that is frontline, right? So when you are, right. um, when you, you have an issue, you go to family. And family can be blood or it can be chosen family. But you go to those that, that care for you and uh, that nurture you and that have sustained you. And uh, we, you know, hope, you know, if, if we don't, I'm sure we will at some point, we can call to those ancestors. And even if we didn't know our bloodline really well, blood people show right. up, you know, blood, blood dead show up because they have a, you know, vested stake in, in the game. They want you to succeed. And so um, I think that relationships can be mended. Even if you didn't know them, I think they can work with you. And they have deeply enriched my life. And I am, I am very grateful for them and, and uh, you know, owe them so much and, and, yeah, I think just you know that knowing that we can all have that connection is is magic. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. But I did, you know, you said something, and I I immediately wanted to ask you a question. You said something about sure. you could mend relationships. So uh, there's someone yeah. in my life who passed away many many years ago, and the relationship was pretty horrific. Is it mm. possible that there is forgiveness now has like when when folks pass over do they stay who they were or do they as I like to think of it go on to become part of the great knowledge which you know where everything is clear you know so is it possible that 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 is 
close to being correct that, you know, now that he's gone, um, you know, he is now understanding of the things that happened in the past and has come to a kind of reckoning about it. Is it possible to mend that relationship if I'm still here and he's crossed over? I'm going to say yes and yes. And I think there's so many different beautiful ways to look at this, but I think you want to feel what feels authentic to you. I'm of that mindset. So I'm 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 in the same boat. Um, And for me, it's about, I think that we have different, and again, I, you know, uh, these are the experiences that I've had today. And this is sort of where I'm at with it, but knowing that that can shift based on, you know, experiences. But what I feel um, from the the work that I've done and sort of the, you know, the the teachers that I've had and and where I'm at today with it, let's just preface it with that, is that I do think that we can heal. I do think that when we die, um, you know, there is a process. I think we see that in many different traditions. It looks like, you know, different periods of time, different, you know, endeavors that the dead have to kind of go on to kind of come to that place of resolve or um, to reflect in some way. And so, I think depending on where we are and kind of where we are in our process when we die, that has influence on it. So some people, you know, become, uh, you know, integrate into the collective, into that collective wisdom, into the, you know, ancestral collective, you know, in a shorter amount of time or with ease. And it's it, it sort of, you know, that, that becomes a, um, is it maybe a quicker process, but not everybody has that. Um, and I think that we can all get there. I don't think it is per se our job to make them do that. <laughs> um, I think that when we, you know, it, so, it's so for this person, so we'll use this example. So if there's somebody that you had, uh, you know, challenge with, uh, whether this is, in, you know, a blood relationship or if this is somebody else in spirit that would be, you know, um, or that was just somebody, you know, of significance in your life, um, the first, you know, you can kind of go in and sort of feel, do they feel like they are still in a place, if they are still in a place of transition, even if it's been a long time, depending on the scenario, sometimes it can take longer. But see how you yeah. feel with it. And if they feel like they have come to a place of collective, uh, you know, to, to be integrated and to reflect and realize. Um, if not, like one of the things that I like to do is if I have somebody who's challenged um, or, you know, I have a lot of people that have died of overdoses, of suicides, of, um, you know, not some, you know, maybe some colorful characters in this life, uh, bloodwise and otherwise, um, that I yeah. would call upon, you know, and that some of them are ready to be called upon and some of them are not in that, that position just yet. And the best thing that I think I can do to support them is to call to, you know, an ancestor who, uh, you know, maybe has mutual connections. So if there's somebody that you know and this person knows, if it's in the bloodline, you know, can they, that, that they feel integrated and they feel like they are um, in a position to come forward and aid and help with this. So kind of leaning to the ancestors to deal with the dead. We don't have to be super direct to them. And we can, there's different ways to do it. But I often find that, you know, me not going and saying, hey, are you okay? Can we talk just yet? Um, if it's something that is sensitive or maybe not quite ready to be healed, or I have strong, you know, um, where there's been hurt to me in some way, leaning on another ancestor to help facilitate that is a beneficial process. Um, we can still yeah. help support them um, in transition. And you may not be at that point yet, too. It, it really depends on where we are and where they are. When we do yeah. mediumship, I do think about, like, the higher aspect, the sort of oversoul, the, the wise part of ourselves, the highest self, whatever you want to call it and whatever, you know, framework you want to work with, I think often that's what we are connecting to mediumship-wise. But that's not the complete, you know, picture of things. Um, but I do think that when we integrate, that is the, the aspect that we are interfacing with. Even when they, they do integrate, we can still connect to that, that piece of who they were in that lifetime and, and who you knew. 
And I find, which is why I'm so passionate about like uh, saying things that we need to say before life and knowing that that's not always the case, but trying to live mm-hmm. your life and, and saying, I love you and I forgive you. Do you forgive me? Um, and thank you. If we can acknowledge these things in our life, it will make for easier transition um, and grief to have resolve on both ends. And so many times, like, I, like mostly what I do is I, I do psychic readings and mediumship and, and do development groups for mediumship and psychic development. Um, so much of this could be resolved. The messages that why people show up to a medium and why the dead are coming through mm-hmm. could have been hashed out if we could have had those kind of connections and, and faced mortality in life. Um, but I do think there's healing that can come on a, you know, a specific side um, after death and, yeah. And, and, you know, making sure that we are, we're in that place to be supported, uh, you know, supporting ourselves and to support them when that comes forward. So I don't know if that answered your question directly. I can go more into it, but uh, some, some thoughts on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could do another hour just on this. Um, but I know. I really so, I love this. There's so much you can get into. Oh, I know. And, and we will at, at a future date because we're down to like four minutes. Like, oh my goodness! <laughs> what, what? Yeah, I know. How, where did the hour go? But you know, <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask: did, have, have you ever had a situation where, you know, you're trying to connect to somebody, and somebody else just comes through and says they're not ready to talk to you? I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> yeah, actually, that then that happens from time to time. I think you know we can't. It, it's hard in this world where people just you have use a booking app. Um, ideally, and, you know, from my spiritualist background, but when we look at other traditions too, I recommend wait six months, wait a year before you come to see a medium because you are still going through your grief process. They are transitioning in spirit, but that is not always the case. People will, I've had people call and say, I want to come to you on the way to the funeral. And I'm like, whoa, girl, Uh, you know, we like, that's maybe not the most appropriate time to do this for you and for them. Um, And so if that happens, if I'm, if I'm faced in a mediumship session where that person is not coming through or they're not coming through clearly, I will often kind of, you know, explore, okay, this does feel like it's a recent passing. Often with the recent passings, you want to give it more time. So I will rebook that person if, that's, if it's not, you know, coming through in that way. And usually that, that comes through if we give it a few months and we give it some time, um, people are in a better position to receive and the spirit is, is better to, you know, is more willing to come through depending on their process. So that does happen. Um, and I don't think it's that they, you know, that they, they don't love you or they're not here for you, but they got their own shit to do. So um, we kind of have to allow that opportunity for them to uh, go through their process, us to grieve and to support that, um, and then come mm-hmm. to this, you know, come to the table and have a, a better connection. And I understand that feeling of wanting to talk to somebody in that regard because the grief is so fresh and all you want yes. to do is alleviate some of the pain you're going through, but what it sounds like you're saying is it's okay to be in grief. It is necessary. Yes. Yes. And that doesn't mean that they won't come through. I think we often get an after death communication when someone has a dream, there's a visitation that has happened to me. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's funny when it happens, it's often not the, the most significant passing. So when someone I'm really, really close to, sometimes I don't get the dream. I'm not the one to have that experience. But when I am on the peripheral, often I am the one to have that experience. So that is something that I have noticed. Um, and, and really it's kind of that check-in, like, hey, I'm in progress, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm doing my thing, but I'm, you know, checking in to say I'm okay and I'm going on this, you know, this endeavor. Um, and so I think that can be healing or helpful in some ways. 
but I know, and I know this as a, as a medium, but as a human who has lost a lot of dead people, you know, you want that right away. Okay, where are you? You knew I was a medium. You knew I did this. We did this together. Where are you? And sometimes it takes time, and we have to be patient with that, and we have to allow and, um, and be open to it when it does happen, too. At the same time, they can come to you in, in other parts of that journey. It's not just you have to stand in front of a medium to get a message. You know, we can, we can, we'll get messages before, but oftentimes it's the subtle things that we often are conditioned to brush off that we kind of bypass. Okay. So, and I yeah. hate to do this to you, but yeah. we are at yeah, 30 yeah. seconds. So I am going oh, to right. say you are wonderful. You are coming back. <laughs> The writer yes. is Danielle Diamond. The book is Magical Mediumship. The studio is Moth and Moon Studio Online. We will be back October 1st. I will be back October 1st, I should say. Um, everybody have a wonderful September. Danielle, I will talk to you very shortly. All right, everybody. Talk Thank you. October 1st. Thank you so much for coming on. I will talk to you in a few minutes. All right. Have a great Saturday, folks. Bye-bye.